Hebrews, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going through Hebrews chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we are in verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 5, sort of in the middle of a sentence. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand, a Bible. Please raise your hand. Chapter 5, verse 7. The New King James starts with the word who, speaking of Jesus. So you can substitute the word who for the, uh, the name of Jesus. Jesus, in the days of his flesh, meaning his... 33 years down on the earth, or on earth, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as high priests, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and, and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that the throne of grace, your throne, is always open. The door is always open, Lord. Closed doors, locked doors, they're a human invention. Your door to us. Lord, who have received Jesus as Lord, is always open. We thank you for that. We come there this morning to the throne of grace to receive your grace and mercy. Help, Lord, in our time of need. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So we left off last week in verses 7 through 9. Verse 7, referring uh, to... Jesus' experience in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified. Verse 7 says, Jesus in the day of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from or out of uh, death. Speaking of Jesus crying out, to God at the night before the crucifixion in the garden. He was in a white hot furnace of affliction, an intensity of suffering unknown to any other human being. In history, a trial that cannot be described in words, so it's described in the tears of, actually the uh, drops of, of sweat mixed with blood that fell from his brow. The cause of the suffering he was taking on so he could take away the sins of the world. John the Baptist at the Jordan River John the Baptist, who introduced the ministry of of Jesus. He was at the Jordan River, saw Jesus approach him. What did he say? He said, Behold, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In the Old Testament, if any man sinned against God, he would bring a lamb as well as a bull or a goat. We talked last week about the goats, but also lambs would be brought to the altar of the tabernacle where the priest was, and there was a symbolic transfer of the man's sins to the lamb. The man sins, the sinner, the guilty, to the lamb who is innocent. The lamb would be slain as a reminder of, of what the penalty for sin was. It's a real powerful thing, by the way. People say, oh, the Old Testament. Why spend time on the Old Testament? Well, it's, the Testament is filled with the New Testament. If you don't read the Old Testament, you're ignoring part of the New Testament. And there's so many rich things there. A lot of the sacrifices, the person offering it had to put their hands on the sacrifice as it was being slain. And so right in front of them, they'd see the blood spilled out. Wow. And why such gore? Well, it was a reminder of the penalty and just the cost of sin. Sin leads to death. By the way, that's why we do communion. It's not just a ritual. It's something that we, uh, we do by the way, we're doing it tonight, communion service tonight. We do to remember our sin, the costs, the blood that was poured, the body that was broken. So the Lamb of God in the Old Testament, a symbolic substitute provided by God, it was a foreshadowing of what would happen to Jesus Christ beginning at the Garden of Gethsemane. It was at that point where there was the beginning of a transfer of the sins of the world, every murder, rape, robbery, every drunken rage, every, every lie, every act of adultery, every proud thought, every covetous thought, put on, put on to Jesus, all of it put on Christ. And, and listen, this is what is so important to understand, that a lot of the suffering that Jesus was going through uh, with that sin being transferred to him came the guilt uh, uh, that always comes along with sin. Comes came the shame, the overwhelming, overwhelming burden uh, that comes along with sin. And most distressing and most painful of all was the judgment, the hand of judgment of God that comes against sin. And on Jesus, it was not just some sin, it was all the sin, it was the sin of the world. So then you wonder why he cried out, if God, if there's any other way, please God, make it happen. Make it happen, Lord. But not my will, but your will be done. Verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 5 says, Though he was a son, Meaning, though he was God, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And we discussed this last week. Why would Jesus, who we know from Hebrews 4.15, was sinless... Why would Jesus have to learn obedience? Because to be the perfect sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb in the Old Testament, remember, had to be perfect without blemish. In order to be the perfect Lamb of God, He needed to be obedient to the end. To the end. Although he was fully God, he was fully man. And man has to learn obedience. We have to learn it. Learning obedience through suffering means staying in the will of God. It means that Jesus stayed in the will of God. He obeyed God's will, even if it meant suffering, even if it meant the white hot furnace of affliction. 
He didn't try to run away from God's will. He didn't shake his fist at God like we do when we say, why me, why me, why me? He didn't say, if you're a loving father, why would you be allowing this uh, uh, to me to suffer like this? He uh, didn't decide for God that there was a more reasonable plan with a lot less pain and, he, and, and sort of run after that. That's what we do when we disobey. But he learned, suffer, he learned obedience through suffering. The perfect Lamb of God. Chapter 4, verse 14 says, He was in all points tempted or tried as we are, yet without sin. Verse 9, And having been perfected, verse 9, chapter 5, He became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey Him called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Remember, Melchizedek, uh, don't get um, bogged down in who Melchizedek was. He was simply a man in the Old Testament who was a king and also a priest. And the prophet said that the Messiah would be a king and also a priest. And says it, so it says in verse 10, Jesus was called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So he's pointing out to these Jews who are receiving this letter that they have become dull of hearing. By the way, that's, notice how it says become. doesn't happen overnight. happens over time. Verse 12, Though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you, again, the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. My seven-year-old daughter, Faith, recently started Little League. It's a real exciting thing. And a couple weeks ago, in her very first two at-bats, she got a hit. She got a hit, her first two at-bats. I mean, it was just so awesome to behold and let me tell you, it was the live pitching, not that t-ball stuff they do out in the suburbs. I mean, it's like the real thing. They got to hit it. You know, who cares if they're seven years old? Well, I can't tell you how much joy it just brought me being there and seeing this. And I was like a, like a dad behaving like a dad is not supposed to behave. I was right behind home plate you know, telling her what to do, you know, there's rules about stuff like that. But anyway, but there were just tears in my eyes as she was running down to first base uh, when she was a year and a half, years years old, when she was just uh, a real little one. She was diagnosed with a massive brain tumor, one of the biggest uh, that children's, uh, the surgeon at Children's Hospital had ever seen. It was so big... I got a call uh, at work uh, from the doctor, found out for the first time, didn't know anything was wrong when I went into work that morning, got a message from the doctor that they had to operate that day. Didn't want to wait 24 hours. It was just massive. It looked like a gigantic, they saw an x-ray of it, it looked like a gigantic octopus that had, or a, a squid that its tentacles just went all over her brain. Just awful. There was a six-hour operation. And they got the whole tumor out. But there was a real long recovery time. Uh, Her brain stem was just torched when they took the tumor out and left her with eyesight issues, balance issues, coordination issues, and just seeing her whack that ball. Just run down to first base. Man, just tears were coming out of my eyes. 
She also had the team's first run, and guess who, guess who hit her in? John Richardson, <laughs> Pastor Scott's son. <laughs> and before her first day, it was funny, before her first at bat, I took her aside and prayed, and before her second at bat, uh, I, I took her aside and prayed. She got a hit both times. She went up a third time. And uh, she struck out, and that's only Faith can do. She stomped off the field to me, saying, Dad, you didn't pray for me that time. <laughs> it was pretty embarrassing. I was talking to another pastor uh, at the time. <laughs> really, that's the truth. And then right after the game, she came out and said, You don't practice with me enough. Okay, okay. But, uh... So we're practicing more. What does all this have to do with Hebrews chapter 5? Well, it says in verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Well, her batting went well. Her face... uh, uh, fielding was uh, a little different. She uh, was out there in right field, and a ball was hit out to her. I think it was last week, and um, she was out there, and it was like a classic bad news bear thing. She she picks up this ball, and she's like, "Wow, a ball!" And then, and then all these other little kids uh, run up, and, and they, they're, all just, they're all just gathering around the ball. <laughs> Look at this. What are we supposed to do with this? You know, the opponent is running around. You know, there's three of them on the bases like that. Uh, and, and so she, <laughs> she was definitely in uh, baseball a babe, unskilled uh, in the rules of 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 baseball well so are christians when they are unschooled as it says in verse 14 in the word of righteousness in the word of god they have only a shallow when they have only a shallow word of of uh, uh, actually, a shallow understanding of the Word of God. Now, notice how I pointed out that verse 11 says, you have become dull of hearing. And, and it says in verse uh, uh, 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. So this isn't someone who has just become a Christian. These are people who actually for years had become, had been Christians. But it says... Over time, they had gotten back. It's like they returned to a place where they needed to learn, it says, the first principles of the Word of God. That's a dangerous place to be in. It's a dangerous place for you to be in. It's a dangerous place for me to be in. Why? Because when you don't know the Word of God, when you don't get to the place where you're eating uh, as it, or eating as it says in verse 12, the solid food, but you're still living off of milk and formula, the devil or any wolf hired by him will take you off to places where are, which are far from God. A place where, you know, you'll be in a, a place where you're sort of off in right field saying, hmm, you know, what is this? What's this? And there's churches all around the country, you know, where the pastor's like, hmm, what's this thing? And he has a whole flock of sheep around him looking at it going, what is this? And meanwhile, the, the devil's just running around the bases. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 says of the Christian who has only a shallow understanding of the Word of God, that they are like children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness 
of deceitful plotting. Oh, in my 21 years of being a Christian, have I seen Christians go off to the wildest, most dangerous places, hanging out in right field, staring at the Word of God, not knowing what it's all about while the devil runs around the bases. I gave my life to Jesus in January of 1988. January of 1988. That same year, there was a guy causing a big stir, getting a whole bunch of followers, tens of thousands. He was teaching that Jesus was coming back on September 8th of 1988. Wow, that's pretty cool. Just became a Christian. Jesus is going to be coming back in September 8th of this year. And there were so many people, people including pastors, what, that were just sucked into this. And so wounded, of course, when it didn't come to pass. And when it didn't come to pass, he did like everyone else does. He changed the date. And I mean, it was just, I thank God I went to a church where the pastor was skilled in the word of righteousness. Because Jesus says so clearly in the Word of God, Matthew 24, Acts chapter 1, we, will not, we do not know the, uh, not only the, the hour, not only the day, but the season of His coming. A lot of people say, well, you know, you can, tell, you can say the year because, you know, it doesn't say anything about that. No, it says not even the season are we supposed to uh, be naming doesn't mean we shouldn't live in an expectation of his coming, but, but I, I'm so thankful that I went to a church where the pastor was skilled in the wor- word of righteousness, and I didn't, we didn't run off into that kind of nonsense and just be uh, wounded and confused when the day come and went, came and went. Almost the exact same time, I remember Jimmy Swaggart an incredibly popular worldwide evangelist falling into sin. I think it was 1988, uh, or give or take a few months there. And as a babe, totally unskilled in the Word of God, just for, you, for those of you who don't know, I did not come out of my mother's womb with a Bible in my hand. I, I, I came into the body of Christ 20, at 24 years of age, clueless. That really did not make sense to me. Why was this guy who was, had an audience of millions, why is he consorting with prostitutes? Or, and why would God ever allow that to happen? And I remember going to my pastor and saying, you know, I want to look forward to something a little better for my life when I'm 20, 30 years into the Lord. And, and, and you know, as it turns out, I didn't realize this, but the Word of God was so very clear that this t- very type of thing not only can, but it will happen. And we shouldn't be surprised when it does. And oh, the health and wealth movement when I became a Christian was so huge. You can be healed of your disease now if you have enough faith. All you need is enough faith. You got to stir it up, brother. Oh man, did I have a few people wrestle me to the ground on that one. Unfortunately, it wasn't until a few years into my faith when they did. And all of a sudden, although I was still certainly not to the place where I was sort of full of the Word of God, I, I, alarm bells went off nevertheless. I knew that much. That that, how can that be true? When the Bible has so much to say about being faithful and being obedient and learning obedience in suffering. And oh, the damage that that teaching has done. The tens of thousands of, of, of men, women, and children, babes unskilled in the word of righteousness whose faith has been shipwrecked by that teaching which is utterly contradictory to the word of God. The list just goes on and on and on. And so much of it, and this is what's so important, on its surface... It seems to make so much sense. And it just continues right up until this day. The teaching today that that churches should avoid in their Sunday morning services talking about sin and controversial issues on Sunday morning because um, if they... Uh, if they avoid those things, they'll be able, they'll be able to draw on more people and, and, and win them to Christ. That sounds so right. 
But the problem is, is that it's such pure nonsense to someone who's skilled in the word of righteousness. Jesus, Matthew 4, the first words out of his mouth in his public ministry, repent of your sin because the kingdom of God is near. And people, people so desperately want to know the way to the Lord. And the way to let them know is that they have sin in their life. They have a cancer. They have a disease. A doctor doesn't avoid telling his patients about the disease. He's very upfront about it. Just recently, a well-known Christian leader in the New York area sent out a letter. Now, it's, everyone's got their hands on it practically. That there's, because of the economic crisis, he predicted widespread upheaval uh, in New York City and that fires will be ra raging right in the city. And he suggested that people should save up food for 30 days. But that's ridiculous. So you know, where do you read, uh, support that kind of teaching in the Word of God? What are you going to do? You, so you can live and everyone else dies? Is that it? I thought the Bible says no greater love has uh, no one has than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Oh, I'm just storing it up so I can give it out. Nonsense. It's about self-preservation. Choosing to remain, and brothers and sisters, it's a choice, in a place where you have only a shallow understanding of the Word of God is a very dangerous choice. That's why in 2 Timothy 2.15, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy and to you and to me, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God, meaning rightly interpreting it. Because there's so many voices out there trying to steal away your heart. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says to Timothy and to you and to me, be ready with the word of God, in season and out of season. In other words, you need to know how to handle the word of God. You don't want to be like a bunch of seven-year-olds, again, in right field, staring at a ball, again, while the devil's running around the bases. Verse 14 of chapter 5 says, But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, meaning those who have grown up in their understanding of the Word of God, that is, those who by reason of use, meaning the Word of God has become like a friend to them, they're talking and learning from it every day, have their senses exercised. That word exercised is the gr Greek word gymnazo, from where, which we get the word gym, so they're pumping iron. They're pumping iron. They're pumping the Word of God. To discern, you could translate that to test, both good and evil. Let's just repeat that. Verse 14, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So recently I read a... Uh, an article in World Magazine. And it says this. The Presbyterian Church USA, there's many Presbyterian denominations. This is USA, and that's important because not all Presbyterian churches um, are like the Presbyterian Church USA. But the Presbyterian Church USA General Assembly authorized a study on the Trinity that suggested new language should replace Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Among the report suggestions, rainbow, ark, and dove. Sun, light, and burning ray. 
compassionate mother, beloved child, and life-giving womb. I don't want to meddle too much into your lives, but I have this question for you. When you hear that, what happens to you? Replacing in the Bible the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit with rainbow, ark, and dove. What, what are you thinking? Are you thinking, that's so sweet. Oh, that's so sweet and touching. When you hear replacing Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit with sunlight and burning ray, just what happens inside? Wow, that's deep. Woo. Or are you thinking, that's evil? Verse 14 says, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern, to test both good and evil. There's a book that came out last year called The Shack, which has sold millions of copies, is being hailed by those who call themselves Christians as groundbreaking, life-transforming, solid pieces of Christian literature. but not to a man or woman who's skilled in the word of righteousness because the book is just littered with things that sort of feel right, warm and fuzzy, sort of true, but there's just a real problem with them. In this book, a man has, uh, his young daughter is, actually, the man has a young daughter who's killed in a, by someone in a, a shack deep in the woods, a rundown shack, and he goes back to the shack, and he goes through a process of, of healing by having conversations with, I will call it, a God. And this God talks to him, and, and and this God has a whole sort of theology. It brings in all kinds of Christian language, so it sounds really convincing. And it, it, one of the things this God says is, well, you know, it says, he's speaking to this man. He says, this is God speaking again, I don't need to punish people for sin. Sin is its own punishment. It devours you from the inside. It's not my purpose to punish sin. It's my joy to cure it. Now that sounds nice. But it's totally contradictory to the word of God. The Bible says that Jesus took the punishment for sin for us. But if we don't accept the free gift of salvation that we can get through a relationship with Jesus, there's going to be a lot of punishment for sin. And do you see the danger here? If someone, better go over here. If, 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 if someone reads that and is convinced by it, just being drawn away and, and, and developing in themselves a, a false sense of comfort, that they don't have to do anything about their sin, that, they're, that, that, that you know, it's okay. And by the way, sin is not, sin is not cured. You don't cure sin. Sin, sin is eliminated by the judgment of God. Another quote. This is Jesus speaking. I should say this is a Jesus speaking. The Bible talks about there are many Jesuses. Which one do you believe? Those who love me come from every system that exists. They are Buddhists or Mormons. They're Baptists. They're Muslims and many who are not part of any Sunday morning or religious institution. I have no desire to make them Christians, but I do want, them to, I do want to join them in their transformation into sons and daughters of my Papa, meaning it's okay if they stay on the moss, it's okay if they stay sort of on the uh, mountaintop doing their mantras, it's okay if they're wherever they are, regardless of whether they're in a church or not. 
they can be saved. <laughs> but the Bible says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Throughout the book, there is a very strong undercurrent that there's no need for church. In fact, the theme of this book is all you really need is a quiet, lonely place such as a shack in the woods. Nothing against shacks in the woods. But all that, that's all you really need to get to know God is a shack in the woods somewhere or a lonely place where you can spend uninterrupted time with God and do serious business with them. But the Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. That's no way to talk about the bride of Christ. You can just ignore it. And so, again, if you're, what I want, my prayer is for many, for, for not for many, every single man and woman in this church, and many of us are not there yet, and that's fine. It takes, it takes uh, time to grow and, and become used to solid food. But my prayer for every man and woman in this church, as you read a book like that, and having, as verse 14 says, you exercise, after exercising you, you, the use of the word of God, you can just tell, this book's evil. I don't care what anyone says about this book. It's evil. There's a guy who endorsed the book, who's appeared at many Calvary Chapel pastor's conferences, who endorsed it. I don't know what happened to him, other than the fact that, and I, I don't say this lightly, he's become dull of hearing, verse 11. In Genesis chapter 3, it says that Eve looked at the forbidden fruit and saw that it was good for food, pleasant to her eyes, and desirable to make one wise. And evil's always like that. It's always looks. It says, it, it says in Genesis 3 that of the forbidden fruit, she saw it. It looked like it was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and desirable to make one wise. But it wasn't. And that's why it's so important to be skilled in the word of righteousness. So, um, again, what is this solid food what is this solid food that verse 14 is talking about? But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. And who is verse 14 uh, referring to when it refers to someone who is full of age? Well, it's the man or, uh, or woman who is... Uh, it, the man or woman is of full age who eats solid food. It is the man or woman just quite simply who on a regular basis is going face to face with the word of God. They don't play Russian roulette with the word of God. Babes who are unskilled in the word of righteousness, they play Russian roulette with the word of God. What does Russian roulette mean? Well, I'll show you what it means. I've actually done it before. You know, you're in some uh, situation where uh, you're confused, you're scared, you're fearful, you're anxious, and you're like, oh God, I just, you have to speak with me. And so you take the Bible and, and you just go, you close your eyes and you put it uh, down like this and you go, ah. Oh. And then you just basically submit to whatever it says. Anyone ever done this? Don't raise your hands. <laughs> Warren, we Warren Wearsby tells of the story of a man who came up to him and did just that. He was all freaked out because he opened up, you know, he's in this horrible situation. He opened up the Bible, put his hand, a finger on a verse, Matthew 27, 5, Judas hung himself. He's like, Whoa. I better try that again. He opened up, true story, to another verse in the Bible, Luke 10, 37. Go and do likewise. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> the Bible says... The Bible says we need to, remember it's, it uses that word exercise, from which we get the word gym. We need to work out on a regular basis. And unless you work out on a regular basis, you know, you go a couple of weeks without it and you work out again. It's like, uh, you know, it, it needs to be a regular practice 
and routine. So the word of God, not a roulette table, is to, is to be approached like a dear friend who you talk to every day, and over time you understand just as you understand uh, a close friend, uh, only it's so much more than a close friend, so much more than a close friend. Hebrews 4.12 says it's, it's living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrows and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So uh, what happened to these people that they had become babes, that say they returned to infancy? What happened? Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with, actually we know, with being a baby, as long as it's come out of the uh, womb relatively uh, uh, recently, you know, uh, we just love them. We love to hold them. We love to uh, kiss them. We love to sort of pinch their wrinkly little flaps of fat. We just love them, you know. Uh, And, and, you know, they mess up bad in their diapers, and and you got to change them, but so what? It's worth the three minutes of agony or whatever, but... You're still changing their diapers when they're five. It becomes a little problematic. <laughs> and when you're changing it when they're 10, it's a really big problem. And when they're 20, oh no. I remember when uh, Stephanie and I had, uh, had Sam, I should say. Stephanie had Sam. Don't want to take any credit for it. But he was just such a bouncy, cuddly, gentle actually cooperative baby and and we're like wow this is incredible everyone talks about how hard it is to be a parent you know this is so easy because he just was one of those uh babies that was really easy uh i won't mention the names of my other kids who weren't so easy but anyway so we would take them literally our life did not change at midnight we would get them in one of those what do you call these things you carry babies around in what a carrier. A carrier. We would put them in a carrier uh, at midnight and just stick them up on the table at some Mexican restaurant. And wow, this is just really great. But you know something? You saw Sam. What would you think if I was putting him on a carrier and sticking him on a table? He's 16. You know? And, 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 and yet, I, 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 I give you this picture. That is the picture of so many people in the body of Christ. You know, it's great when they're young little babies, all excited and zealous for the Lord. Every once in a while, you have to change their diapers, you know. They call up their family members who they haven't spoken to in 20 years. Hey, you know, you're going to hell if you don't accept Jesus. And, you know, you got to sort of bring them back. Hey, you'll change their diapers. There's something called love. We've got to teach you about that. But let me tell you, when they're doing the same thing after 5, 10, 20 years, something's terribly wrong. Something's terribly wrong. Well, we read in verse 11 what happened to these Jews, these new Jewish Christians, what happened that that caused them to sort of return to their infancy. It says in verse 11, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. You have become dull of hearing. Now, that word dull... Uh, there in the original Greek is the word nothros. It's the very same word as the, a word used in chapter 6, uh, verse 12. Please skip down there. Chapter 6, verse 12. Let's just start off in verse 11. I'm going to close up soon. I just, just close this up with this description of, of what is it that happened to these Jewish Christians that made them return to their infancy. It says in verse 11, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish. Now, who has the King James Version? It says what? Slothful. I like that word, slothful. Slothful. Lazy. Now, I um, grew up here in the, in the Boston area and moved away to, when I was nine to actually Venezuela, Caracas. And my dad, he, we, he took us to this home in the middle of nowhere. I literally had a jungle in my backyard. My brothers and I would run around back there. There's wild boar and snakes. It was crazy. We loved it, though. Uh, anyway, uh, there's the, a couple sloths back there. Have any of you guys seen a sloth? 
Have you, have you ever seen a sloth? Those are the, the, these sloths. The, there's the, you know, these big old things, and they call them a sloth because they look so lazy. I mean, and they move real slow. You know, they they move like this. This is not an exaggeration. <laughs> I pick up a, a, a an orange and. And, and this is how they are. You just look at them and go, whoa, you know, have an evolutionist explain that thing, you know, uh, how they survive. But anyway, um, you know, they, they moving forward in evolution sort of deal. But, um, uh, you know, you're not, you were not supposed to go. You didn't really want to. You, you say, well, wow, wouldn't it be easy to just go, like, grab one of those things and take it home? It had these big claws. But the claws, they couldn't move them fast enough to do anything to you because they literally, they did, whoa, slow motion like this. And, but you didn't want to go and be anywhere around a sloth because they were covered with fleas. Oh, a flea. Uh, and the poor guy, they, you know, by the time they got to it, the fleas at, you know, on the other side of its back. And, and, and so that, that's what these things were like. And they used to hang out in our backyard. There was a couple of them back there. And, but it says of these uh, Hebrews, it says, you have become slothful of hearing. Dull. I lament the translation there. They, they become slothful of hearing. Hearing what? Hearing the word of God. You know, meaning, you know, the word of God had, had told me, you know, there's this sin. There's a sin in your life. And, and they're looking at the sin and they're going, You know, they don't want to deal with that. Or, you know, they're, they're hearing the word of God and, and as it pertained to the sort of the application and the urgency to apply it to their lives. You know, inside, inside their mind and their heart, something was going on. It looked something like this. Uh, you know, <laughs> they were just slothful of hearing. And, 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 and so what happens over time is you become an infant again. And you're back to sucking on formula. It says in verse 12, you, you, return, you have to return. Someone needs to teach you the first principles of the oracles of God or the teachings of God. And, and you know, the Lord has uh, such a, a better place for you and he has such a better place for me. Has such a better place for you, and such a better place for me. You know what? The scariest thing to me about all of this in verse eleven, it says, "We have much more to say." He's saying, but we can't because you're dull of hearing. Much more to say about what? What has he been talking about since the very beginning of the uh, of the of the book, uh, chapter one, verse one? What's he talking about? We have much more to say about Jesus who Jesus is, what he can be to you, the work he can do in and through your life. God has something so much better for us. It's to learn the fullness of who who Jesus is. I love the prayer for Paul to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 3, he uh, prays that they would become full to the measure of the fullness of Christ, that they would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, of Christ, of Jesus. That's what God wants for us. That's what he wants for us. That, and that happens as we come face to face with the word of righteousness. The word of God just becomes a friend in our life. We'll never know all, all of it. It's so rich and full, you know. None of us are going to live long enough to, 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 to know the whole word of God and everything it has to say in its entirety, but it can become familiar like a, a, a rich friend. Even as we exercise, even as we go to the gym. And so I just encourage all you here, every man, woman, and child here this morning, just the habit of exercising, of going to the gym, face to face with God that's where he wants you 
so that you can become filled to the measure of all the fullness of him. Okay, let's pray. Worship team can come up. Father, we thank you, Lord, for, for all of this, Lord, this word. And Father, for those of us who, God, we know deep in our hearts, Lord, that we're back in a place where we're sucking on the formula, Lord. And there's problems and anxiety and fear that are just popping up all over the place in our life because, because of that, Lord. And, and Father, we, we just thank you for the grace that is ours. And to anyone who is, who is in that place this morning, Lord, I just pray, Father, that you would give that person grace, that man grace, that woman grace, that child grace this morning. Bring them back, draw them back, Lord, to the, to the word of righteousness, that regular time in your word, that rich time in your word, Lord. Father, I pray that for myself, for my family, for my wife, for my children. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that in your word you say, Lord Jesus, that to any, any who believe in you, to anyone who receives you, that you give them the right to become children. Father, we thank you that we can call you Father, Dad, Papa. We thank you for that. Lord, your word, it says, we just read it, you have much more to say about who you are, about who your son is, who Jesus is. We want to know, Lord. Take us there. Take us there, Lord God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the worship team is going to sing a song. Why don't you rise tonight? We're having communion time.